If you're enjoying the Fastest Known Podcast, please let us know by rating and reviewing it in iTunes. If you have a guest suggestion, please send that person to me, Craig, at craig at fastestknowntime.com. And if you have feedback on how we can improve the show or anything to change, please send that to me as well. And finally, each Monday morning, we send out a newsletter with the best FKTs of the week. It's a cool way to keep up with what's going on and learn more about the culture of the sport. Sign up for it at fastestknowntime.com slash newsletter. Welcome. Welcome, everyone, to the Fastest Known Podcast, where every Friday we talk to some of the most fun, interesting, and fast people in the sport. And boy, I think we're going to emphasize the word fun with our next guest. So do you know how to get on this podcast? I'll give you a quick hint. This person sent us just a random email, and she described how she and her best friend set the FKT on the Great Smokies 900 route in Great Smoky Mountain National Park. And just just stay with me for a minute here. She further wrote, we attempted the feat as a fundraiser for preventative search and rescue programming in the park. We raised over $30,000. This was inspired by the death of a hiker who got lost less than a mile from the trailhead. Wow. So I, we're, we're going to talk about this, but here's, here's again, what she wrote us right out of the gate. She published a book. It's about their FKT attempt, and she wanted to send us a copy just so we have something and see in the forward how much FKTs have inspired this. So Nancy East, did I get that correctly? Absolutely. In a nutshell, that's the story. Well, Nancy, thanks for being on the podcast. And uh, I, I saw this, it just came in. I thought, well, this is a terrific. I just really want to talk to you and get to know you a little bit better and see a few things, you know, talk about this 900 mile FKT you did, but also just the inspiration for this and just how you told us, you wrote to us that you had, you were laughing the whole way. You had fun, even though it took 29 days and 11 hours. You had fun the whole time. And then you wrote a whole book on it. So we, we have a lot of things to talk about here. Sure. So the route. Now we have, uh, in the written show notes, of course, there'll be a hot link to it. But you call it the Smokies 900. We call it the Great Smoky Mountain National Park 900. And this is kind of interesting. So some of our routes are point to points. Some are loops, some are out and back, some are just summit descents, and we have routes that we call grids. A grid is when you you know climb something every day of the week, every month of the year, things like that. But this is a map. Oh, tell us what is a map type route? Yes, great question. If you go to any visitor center in the Smokies, you will find a map that costs a dollar. I don't even know if they charge tax or if it's just included, but everybody refers to it as the dollar map. And on that map are all 801 miles of open trail in the park. Um, but as you can imagine, in any national park, none of the it's not a linear situation it's not like the appalachian trail where it's end-to-end hiking there are all types of interwoven trails some that are just out and back that you can't connect to other trails some that connect to many different trails and so once you complete hiking all of those it always amounts to a minimum really of 900 and i think well about 920 miles is the most efficient anyone has ever done it 
but usually it's well above a thousand miles when people do this challenge. It's a very popular challenge in this area for people to complete all those trails. Sometimes it takes years. It took me 20 years to do my first map, um, you know, and in some instances, much, much shorter time frame. Wow, that's brilliant. I never so I knew about the route, but I didn't know that the, I'm sorry, I don't want to be laughing. This is great. I love this local knowledge. It's the dollar map. And so yeah. the route the route's a map. You just refer to it as a proper noun. You did your took you 20 years to do your first map. Exactly. Yeah. I started in college. I went to uh, Auburn and Alabama and I would drive up on the weekends just to backpack and hike in the Smokies. It's what led me to live here. I just love the area. And I started to become intentional once I realized it's a thing. People do this where they want to hike all the trails. And uh, I don't know if this is novel to the Smokies or if other national parks have this challenge with kind of a club centered around it, but it's certainly a big deal here. They're about well, over 700 people now who've completed all the trails at least once. So it's 700 people, 700 have a map, 700 have even kids. There are some young kids who've completed a map. And some of these trails are rugged. You can imagine in the Smokies that it's not the easiest terrain. So, you know, my hat's off to anybody who does it. It's a feat. Now you and your partner, you refer to as your, uh, your best friend, Chris Ford. Sorry, he yeah. couldn't be with us today, but he's out hiking. Exactly. So, well, good for him. Um, you must have, did you spend, how, like, how much time did you spend figuring out the most efficient route? Because the FKT is just do all the trails, but you can do them in any order you want, in any combination you want. And you probably try, want to try to minimize backtracking. So it becomes somewhat tactical, doesn't it? It does. It absolutely does. And that is not my wheelhouse at all. So I was very fortunate to have a friend who could not geek out on this type of stuff more. He's on my search and rescue <laughs> team. And so he will dissect a gnat to the millionth degree. It's amazing how much he enjoys doing this type of work. So he took it upon himself to create the most efficient map anyone had ever done. And that was the plan for us to uh, to complete it as he had scripted it out for us. So it was a huge gift that he enjoyed doing that type of work. Interesting. Yeah, you need someone who's going to handle the logistics. Yeah. Uh, Ricky Gates, you know, famously did all the streets in San Francisco. But, you know, out there in the Bay Area, you can, I think he enlisted a computer programmer to do run this, uh, to figure out the most optimal route. But uh, maybe Chris did that too, or maybe he just eyeballed it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And it was actually Lane. It was actually not Chris, the guy I hiked with, my friend, another friend who uh, just oh. lived here, you know, nearby. Yeah. So it was kind of a, a team effort with three of us. And Lane became our trail boss. He became in charge of all the logistics, shuttling, all that type of stuff, because we weren't just in the park the entire time. We had to be driven from point to point in certain situations. Some of them were really lengthy drives, upwards of four hours sometimes. So it was quite the endeavor, and he handled all that behind the scenes for us. And all we had to do is just get up and hike every day. <laughs> I love it. And so that's, uh, again, 29 days, 10 hours, 12 yeah. minutes. And then you, uh, with high degree of integrity, you commented, I'm not sure about the seconds. But I think after 29 days, we can, rounding to the seconds is okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> we probably have it recorded somewhere. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Well, there'll be a link in the written show notes. So people can go to the webpage, read your trip report. And there's pictures of you and Chris smiling and laughing. So that's, that's always fun to see. You did it just this fall. You started on September 4th and you completed it on uh, October 3rd. So that's probably a good time in the Smokies. Uh, less bugs, not too hot, but still had good day length. Definitely. And it was actually last fall, 2020 is when we did Oops. it. I just published the book. Yeah, no, but it's, <laughs> it's confusing. I have to think about it too. What is time anyway during this pandemic, right? It's hard to keep track. Well, to further flesh this out in that original email you sent us, you also wrote, I'm a mom to three kids and the verge of turning 50. The fastest I typically travel is in my minivan, shuttling kids around town. <laughs> Achieving an FKT as an amateur middle-aged athlete with minimal time to train was a huge stretch of my comfort zone. So, Nancy, I just want to say, I think, probably for all of us, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It was uh, definitely, I meant those words when I wrote them. It was not something I ever, ever thought I was capable of doing. And I really, I think that a lot of us just won't go out on a limb for fear of failure. And that was certainly the case with me. Throughout my life, I've always just tiptoed into things that I thought I didn't have a high degree of success with um, or potential high degree of success. And so to just leap headfirst into this one and to be so publicly exposed with the fundraiser, it was a stretch for me, for sure. But I'm so glad I did it. I learned a lot from that. Well, what other comments might you have to listeners? I mean, like like you just said, amateur athlete, for sure. I mean, sometimes we have pro athletes on the podcast, people who literally do this for a living. Sure. Get up in the morning, no alarm clock there. Uh, a few stretches, you know, some kombucha tea. I, I'm kind of just making this up. But, you know, they can go for the workout that they want to have and then take a nice rest break, take a nap afterwards, get a massage maybe. And I don't think being married with three teenagers is probably your daily routine. To uh, You probably have a few more things to do. Usually a little bit longer to-do list at home, yes, but I've got the most wonderful husband in the world, so he was very kind to give me a couple of days a week just to go and train hard and just get those miles under my feet, and so Chris and I would just head out as often as we could. He went and through hike the PCT during our training sessions. I was here just doing a lot on my own, but... Yeah, oh, oh, oh. Really... Who, who hiked the PCT? <laughs> Chris, my partner in this. Yeah, he went and through hiked the PCT, um, let's see, the summer before we set out to do this. So um, so 2019. So it was the, the year before that we did the FKT. But yeah, we had started the talks of this in early 2019 on a backpacking trip that we were taking together. And so then we had about a year to train. The pandemic postponed everything, unfortunately. But uh, in the end, I think it was a good thing because it just gave us that much longer to train and for me to, to get used to that kind of mileage. I had never even done over 30 miles on a day hike before. So to, <laughs> <laughs> to do it for 29 days in a row at a higher average you know, mileage than that was, was definitely something I had to get used to. Wow. <laughs> well, but Chris had a lot of experience if he threw hiked the PCT, so he had it. And then your husband uh, watched the kids and maybe washed the dishes. And a couple of days a week, you spent a year in prep for this. Is that what I'm hearing? It just about, yeah. It was pretty much a deliberate year of just training. 
uh, trying to get the fundraiser off the ground. We knew that that would take a lot of effort just with awareness and just a platform and an audience, quite frankly. We knew that $30,000 was an ambitious goal, but we thought if we start early enough, maybe we'll get enough exposure through various media outlets and nonprofits that support the park. And sure enough, we did. We were really grateful for the community. Uh, the Smokies community, I just have to say, is just the most wonderful community centered around a national park. I don't have experience really with many other national parks, so it's hard to think that any is better than this one. They love this park so much. And anybody who's doing something to promote any type of funding for it, um, because they don't even charge an entrance fee at this park, is always very supported. And it's just a, a touching thing to watch it happen. This is interesting. I'm glad you brought that up because I am reminded Great Smoky Mountains National Park is by far the most visited national park in the system. It of is. course, part of that is because it's bisected by paved highways. So it's sure. kind of an unfair count, but dramatically more than Yosemite, Yellowstone, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, but I'm, I'm right now, we're talking, I'm probably four miles from the entrance to Arches National Park and a mile away from actually the headquarters to Arches and Canyonlands. And they don't have a dollar map. I'm told, I'm just, I, sorry, I, I can't get this out of my mind. A dollar map. Every national park needs a dollar map, I think. They do. It's the best thing ever. And maybe they all have something similar. It's just not called the dollar map, but that's just what <laughs> it's called here. <laughs> no, I don't think they do. This is, I like it a lot. And you're there in Waynesville, North Carolina. Mm. And, um, right there at the gateway to Great Smokies. And just a, another quick note to listeners, you're going pro here on me. I'm uh, we obviously recording and everyone's listening to the audio only, but we can see each other on video, which is always fun. And there you are, Nancy, in your closet. That, <laughs> that's good. High tech. Well, it is because you know there's NPR podcasters who during the pandemic when they went, didn't go into the studio, they went in their closets because it gives the best sound, very good sound dampening. So you're going pro on us, Nancy. I'm impressed. I love it. Didn't even mean to. Just trying to avoid the dog and three teenagers from needing me for an hour. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. A 29-day FKT and go into the closet to talk about it. I like it. You're uh, you you're I'm hopefully we're inspiring our listeners here that uh, whatever they want to do, they can do it. So I'm appreciative. I like this, the closet okay. technique and uh, tell us how this was inspired. You've alluded a couple times. You're a member of a SAR group search and rescue. Thank you for doing that. Boy, you, you have an automatic admittance to heaven, I think. Because, you know, without search and rescue, most search and rescue is done by private groups. You know, it's, it's not a for-pay thing. Obviously, the sheriff gets called, the NPS ranger could get called, BLM could get called. But really, it's the private search and rescue groups that generally do the heavy lifting anywhere in the country. And so you are a member of one such group there. What's the name of your group? 
Ours is, we are tethered to our rescue squad. So we are the Haywood County Search and Rescue. We do primarily wilderness work, but we'll also go out and do urban searches too for patients with dementia, runaway teens, that type of thing. But I'd say 90% plus of our work is in the wilderness areas of Pisgah National Forest, which is home to Shining Rock Wilderness, which is a popular area, um, as well as the North Carolina side of the Smokies, although we will sometimes get called into multi-agency searches on the Tennessee side. Since the park is bisected by the Appalachian Trail, you've got the two states that it sits in. And we, Haywood County, the county that we are in, there's a, a large chunk of the park that sits in this county. So we will go and, and help the National Park Service. They have their own search and rescue team, but oftentimes it's just not enough for the, the operations. So that's when we get called in. And you raised $30,000 for this particular SAR group? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, not even for our group. It is a little confusing. It's not so much for our group as it was for the National Park. They wanted to implement a preventative search and rescue program to fund things like seasonal rangers, to station them at popular trailheads, to make sure people had the things that they needed in their pack to survive if anyone was injured or lost or whatnot and needed to wait out a SAR team. Uh, to just do more outreach and education with park visitors and just a myriad of ways. And so that was the uh, really what the park wanted money for. And so then they took that need to Friends of the Smokies, which is a nonprofit that supports the park. And so that's how we got tethered into raising the money is approaching Friends of the Smokies saying, we have this crazy audacious goal. We think that, you know, your audience would be a good one to put it in front of because it's all these people who love the park, who want people to stay safe and found. And if we can do this crazy thing that attracts attention, maybe we can raise that money for the park. And it took a little bit of uh, time. The park was a little reluctant at first, and rightfully so. They didn't want our endeavor to be perceived by visitors as something that everyone should go out and do, even though most people, common sense would dictate you shouldn't go out and, you know, hike these types of mileage unless you've, there's mileages unless you've trained pretty extensively. But nevertheless, it, it took a little bit of time before they were on board with the idea. But they eventually said, yes. And Friends of the Smokies was more than happy to, to let us do it and to use that platform to showcase the whole thing as it unfolded. So that was a lot of fun. Is this fund still open? Uh, not anymore. Not specifically. They did raise what they needed for that particular line item. Every year, the park gives them a budget of needs. And then Friends of the Smokies then puts that on their website. And then they have various fundraisers to uh, you know, to raise for whatever earmarked uh, need that the park has. And so I think that that one has been funded, which is great. Good job. So a quick editorial comment here. Anyone who's listening, always support and respect your local search and rescue organization. They're almost invariably volunteers. They almost invariably do an amazing job. Um, there's a back where when I was in Boulder, the Rocky Mountain Search and Rescue, uh, RMI, they would go out on 300 times a year. These guys are volunteers. So it's uh, wow. Always support, always support SAR. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of people have that misconception, not people so much that are avid hikers and athletes and all that because they just are in the know. But most people have no idea that we're volunteer, that we've got to drop everything in our lives to head out and find somebody or rescue them. And it's a much longer endeavor, I think, than most people expect when they're in that moment waiting for our help. So, yeah. So thank you for, for saying that, because, yeah, it, it definitely is something that I think is is misunderstood sometimes out there. 
And there's recently in the, in the media about a lost haiku who definitely misunderstood, and he got phone calls. Did you read about this? I did. He said, yeah. oh, I don't know who this is. It didn't pick up the call. It's someone trying to rescue him. And so the uh, yeah. moral of the story is if you are lost, answer your phone, even if yeah. you don't recognize the caller. Uh, yeah, I had to laugh when I read that article because I thought that would so be me, not wanting to pick up a phone call I don't recognize. So <laughs> I, I felt for the guy because I thought his name is being smeared all over everywhere now. But <laughs> hopefully people had some grace because it's something that a lot of us would have done. <laughs> it, it is kind of interesting because um, obviously taking technology into the backcountry is a mixed blessing. I certainly use the phone as I have for many, many years now as my main navigation. It would be very uncommon for me to take a paper map because the phone through the various apps, they download the, uh, the maps in advance. So if I'm out there with no cell phone reception, I still have the map on my phone. So I really appreciate that. On the other hand, if, you know, of course, and people taking billions literally of selfies of you know hidden secret spots all over the world, and then there it is, GPS marked. And so, you know, it has this downside to it as well. But for search and rescue purposes, bring that telephone along because 911 still works as long as you got a cell signal. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And an external battery charger. That's another one that I think should just really be an essential in people's packs because they take so many pictures with their phone and oftentimes don't think to turn it on airplane mode. It drains the battery so quickly and then they're in a pickle with no service or no um, no battery left. That's a good point. I'll, let's just stand this for a second. People are probably interested in hearing this because airplane mode it's always evolved, depending on what model you have, and also depending on what brand you have. But usually, airplane mode still has most of the functionality, but it's not searching for a signal and things like that, so it doesn't wear down the battery. The other thing that wear bounds downs the battery, interestingly enough, is the light. You're just lighting yes. the screen, so you can be listening to music for hours and hours. It doesn't take that much battery, while the light in the screen takes battery. Just a couple tips to preserve battery life. The airplane mode certainly is one of the key ones. And if you're using, say, Strava on your phone to track your route, that takes battery. I mean, using the you know, 10 seconds bouncing up to the satellite every 10 seconds, that takes juice too. And if you don't do those things, actually, they'll go for a couple of days. Yeah, yeah, it really will. And the cold, too. I always tell people if it's cold out, you put even like a hand warmer or something, activate the chemical ones and put it somewhere close to the phone just to keep it warm because I've had a battery die much, much quicker in winter weather than I have in summer. So, yeah, just lots of little tips that people can abide by and really potentially save themselves out there. Thanks, Nancy. You mentioned the backup uh, external battery, which are They've just plummeted in price this past five years. They're like $30. So yeah. you can get a, I hate to recommend Amazon, but it's probably the easiest thing to do. You can go on sure. Amazon and mail order a $30 backup battery. They'll give you three full charges on your phone for $30. And yep. it weighs, I think, 5.8 ounces. Exactly. So, yeah. And of course, All, the last yeah, wait, and the last thing, of course, is don't be a dope. <laughs> yes. Common sense goes a long way. Don't forget to pack what's between your ears and really utilize <laughs> it when you need to. <laughs> Don't forget to pack. With it. See, this is one liners. I'm 
I, I, I'm going to write this down. Put in the show notes. Don't forget to pack what's between your ears. <laughs> this is very good. <laughs> this is this is like southern humor, maybe. <laughs> um. So you were inspired by someone who was lost and tragically, I believe, turned into a fatality. Is that correct? It is, yes. And she was also a mom, 52 years old, a mom to three kids. So there were just a lot of commonalities with me and this particular hiker. She was here from Ohio with her daughter. They were just out on a short day hike. But what was interesting is that they were on one of the most popular trails in the park, less than a mile from their car on the trail. And that's really what makes it so compelling is that it really underscored how quickly things can go awry for people who don't have the knowledge or the gear to keep them safe. And that night we think that she, her daughter was with her, but her daughter separated from her. She wanted to go to the top of Clingman's Dome, which is the highest point, you know, in the park, on the AT, all that, to, to the observation tower. The mom just wasn't feeling it, Susan Clements, this hiker, and said, you go on, I'll meet you back at the car. Well, she never showed up. And we think what happened is that she missed. There's a turnoff to the right to go up to the parking area just before you get to the parking area. And we think she missed that. She probably just had her head down, paying attention to, paying attention to some big step-ups, and kept going up to the Appalachian Trail about a half mile later, head south on the AT, and that is where she eventually ended up off trail and her body was found in a creek drainage. She had died of hypothermia. Uh, she was partially unclothed, which as I'm sure you know, is just one of those things that happens in the end stages of hypothermia, paradoxical undressing where people remove clothing because they think they're hot even though they are fatally cold by that point. And it was just one of the most tragic searches I had ever been a part of. And it just kind of shook me up and, and made me want to do more outreach and education, not just go out and search and find people, but to try to prevent them from ever needing our help in the first place or worse, ending up like Susan Clements did. Uh, so that's that was really the impetus for all of this with the FKT was her death and knowing that I needed to do something big and flashy to get people's attention or else it would just get lost in the social media feed like so many things do. Wow. So she was almost the same age as you with also with three children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dang. Just tragic. It was and just what, awful. What month was that? It was in September. So that's another thing that people wow. really don't understand is how deadly those elevations, especially over 6,000 feet in the Smokies can be. They think it's the South. How cold can it get? You put a little rain and wind in the mix in September at night in the Smokies and it's a lethal combination oftentimes. And it was that night. Dang. Yeah, that's uh, that's very sobering. Yeah, um, because obviously not out there doing risky behavior at all. Mm -hmm. Not you know rafting fifth class rivers, uh, free soloing, et cetera, et cetera. A casual hike with her daughter misses the turnoff coming back. And then let's just stay with this for a second, because what I would say, you're the professional. You tell me what you think. What I tell people, and I actually do myself is be wary the shortcut. I mean, if, if you think you've missed the trail, don't try to find it. Hit the brakes, turn around, go back the way you came until you find it again. Yeah. Because once you go off into the bushes, well, you're probably not going to save any time. But worse is you're not going to get found. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one thing I tell people to do exactly what you just said, just to stop for a minute and think about it. And we use that acronym STOP a lot of times to teach. And it just stands for stop, think, observe, and then plan. But one of the things that I tell people, too, is carry some type of brightly colored bandana is what I typically recommend, fluorescent, as loud as it can be. Use that to tie it to a tree branch or just something if you are turned around and you think, I just want to kind of get my bearings and see if I can figure this out. Tie it somewhere where you're not going to lose sight of it. And then like spokes of a wheel, fan out from that point to see if you can find the trail or whatever the point is that you know where you weren't lost. But don't go beyond where you can visualize that bright object because, yeah, you're right. We're, we're so apt to bend the map in our head and we think we're somewhere and we're miles from it sometimes. I mean, I've certainly done that where I'm out doing some off trail stuff and, and I'll look at my map or check my phone just to see if I am where I think I am and I'm nowhere near it. And it's so easy to get confused. Dang. Wow. Well, let's re I never heard that. So that's, I'm going to write that down. Stop, stop, think, observe, plan. Because I think the key thing there is the uh, think part. Like you said, don't forget to pack what's between your ears. <laughs> because I think people can start to panic. Said, ah, I'm lost. And then they just kind of hit the accelerator. And that is true. Yeah, it's like not, not the best idea. So even for us who are quite experienced, do the same thing. Stop, think, observe, plan. And in my case, it usually means retrace my steps exactly until you find the route again, rather than, oh, I think it's off here to the right. I'm just going to go for it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, and it, it happens quicker than people think, you know, and you're right. They do get panicked, and that's when we make poor decisions. And if someone is, which they probably would since her daughter probably reported her missing pretty soon, people are going to be did. looking for you. And if you're on a trail, they're going to find you. But if you're off in the underbrush, maybe not. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that could have saved her life had she known that one basic thing to do to just stop and stay put that night. But instead, I'm sure she was cold. She was frightened. It was dark probably, probably by the time she reached the AT because it was late afternoon. And yeah, I'm sure she just thought, I've got to get out of here. I have to keep moving. And in some ways, she probably did have to keep moving just to stay warm. But to stay in place, just do jumping jacks, push-ups, whatever it takes, a million squats just don't move. You become a needle in a haystack the more you move if you've become lost at all. Right, right. I remember on the the Lost Coast Trail in uh, Northern California has gotten a lot of FKT attention this past few years. Yeah. And when I did it, uh, when was it? About 10 years ago, there has been a recent fatality and it was it's just, oh man, it's hard to talk about these, but I'll just share it just as a what not to do. They're out driving. A man and his wife and two kids are out driving and this rain came up and suddenly everything becomes slick. You know, that, that, that shale dirt just becomes so slick. You yeah. can't drive on it. And so fine, there you are. You're in the car. You're going to survive in that car for a long time. <laughs> yep. And someone's going to come looking for you and they're going to find you. But he decided to leave the car and he didn't like being on the road. So the husband decided to go cross country through the Northern California woods because he thought that'd be a quicker way to get out. So, of course, the next day, the rescuers found his wife and two kids. They were fine. And they found him a day or two later, and he was not. So, uh, yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, yeah, it just happens so fast. It really does. And I think we're all just we think it's never going to happen to us. We'll figure our way out. But for some, they don't with the best of intentions. So it's just always, I think, important to be mindful and careful and to just stop. I mean, really and truly, that acronym has gone a long way with me personally. And then you wrote a book. I'm so impressed by people who can write a book. That's that's the type of patience and commitment I sorely lack. So my hat's off to you, Nancy. Uh, you put the butt in the chair and you got it done. I'm extremely impressed by this. The name of the book is Chasing the Smokies Moon, subtitled, An Audacious 948-Mile Hike Fueled by Love, Loss, Laughter, and Lunacy. So uh, let's go into those four. And by the way, people, you should purchase this book. How to do that is going to be in the written show notes. Um, you can get a signed copy from Nancy. There's a link to that. Or go to the, uh, the company that's trying to take over the world, a.k.a. Amazon. You can buy it there. But go to the show notes, buy this book directly from Nancy. And Nancy, love, loss, laughter, and lunacy. So what do you mean by love? Yeah, just really to me, I think just a love of, of other people, just caring for our fellow human beings and each other. You know, there's just so much acrimony in the world in the past few years. And it's just so fueled and charged by politics and the pandemic and all these things. And I really felt like it was kind of a fitting time to even attempt this FKT because it was for me anyway, and for Chris too. I mean, there was a story, which is all in the book about how we teamed up for this endeavor, but um, it definitely stemmed from just this tragic loss of this mother. Um, and then, you know, I also obviously have a mother too, and she's woven into that story and the love for her and a loss around that. Um, just some dealings with my own grief with, uh, losing my mom, not like Susan Clements, but in a different way, which again, I go in and in with the book. So yeah, just, I think taking care of each other is something that we don't do as much in this world, or at least it's not, I think that we do it as much. It's just not put out into the public eye sometimes as much. And so I wanted to do something that just really made a bold statement that says, I care. I may not know you, but I care. It's why I'm on the search and rescue team and why I do the things I do. And I think that there are millions of people just like me. And I wanted to draw attention to those types of endeavors more so than the just the negative aspects of, of the world right now. Brilliant. I like that because it does look like people are always talking about divisiveness, whether it's political, uh, climate change, et cetera. But you're saying we care and there's millions of people who also care. Yeah. And um, the old headline, at least for my generation, and unfortunately it still seems to be true. If it bleeds, it leads. That's that's hmm. how the newspapers used to do it. You know what what's going to be on the front page if it bleeds it leads. You know, airplane crash. You know, okay, they don't talk about the nine hundred ninety nine thousand airplanes that just delivered people safely on time. Exactly. Uh, so thank you for taking the positive approach on this. Yeah, no, it was an honor to do it. It really was. But yeah, so that's where the love and the the loss part of it came from. And laughter. It sounds like you and Chris were having a good time. We really did. You know, we have a strong friendship and we're both married to our high school sweethearts for decades. We have very strong marriages. And so this is truly just a very you know, strictly a friendship, obviously. But um, we just have a heck of a lot of fun out there. Neither of our spouses want to go out and 
attack these kind of mileages that we do on these crazy hikes. And so we're just a good team in that way too, but we just get along so well. And so we just have a tendency when we get the most tired to laugh the most as well. And that gets us through a lot of really hard situations and when we need to just bear down and physically get through things. Uh, I, that's another thing I tell people is just never underestimate the power of laughter and thinking of something funny when you're in a tight spot because it really can help tremendously and it did for us. It, it certainly got us through some hard times during the FKT and the training. So that's where that came from. Well, maybe your uh, your search and rescue slogan should be stopple. Stop, think, observe, <laughs> plan, and laugh. I like it. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Having a good sense of humor is definitely key, I think, sometimes, for me anyway, to, to getting through hard spots in life. Nice. Well, I'm going to give another example here of Eliod Kipchoge, the world's greatest marathoner. I think I can pretty much say that without argument. And you see him at the end of, you know, mile 24, and he, and he has a smile on his face. You're going, wow, is it that easy for him? Well, I think he's throwing down big time. As it turns out, he actually takes three to four weeks off completely after the end of a marathon. Uh, no, it turns out a little bit of a smile and to enjoy it is performance enhancing. I mean, you can do the tests. It enhances performance. Yep, I think it does. Even when you're faking it, you know, to just smile and laugh, <laughs> even if you really don't mean it. I think that there's something connected to endorphins with it. So, yeah, I can definitely see how that would work for him. Science corroborates your theory, fake it until you make it. And uh, does this lead us directly into your last uh, uh, word here on your subtitle and lunacy? Yeah, the lunacy really was just a play on words because our attempt was supposed to be a 28-day endeavor. That was what we had had Lane, my search and rescue teammate, map out. And we did not realize it, or I didn't realize it until the first night, that it aligned almost perfectly with the cycle of the moon at its fullest. And it would wrap back around and be at its fullest the night we finished. Well, for reasons that I go into in the book, there's a wild story of why our attempt turned into a day longer than that, completely out of our control. But so it, it got a little off kilter, but just the phases of the moon aligning with our attempt really wound up having a lot of symbolism. There were so many just neat encounters and serendipitous moments that really made me believe less in coincidence and more in just destiny during this entire 29 days. There's just so much power and magic, as I know you're all too aware in nature and being out in the natural world and there were some really profound and poignant moments for me personally during that attempt. And the moon just seemed to understand that and keep explaining it to me in various ways. So it was, it was a neat experience to, to watch it the whole cycle. La Luna. Yes. Well, it is where the word lunacy comes from. Yes. Um, so I like the positive spin on that rather than being negative, you know, lunacy is a positive spin as well. Like, it's a moon cycle and it has uh, educating us in other ways. And you're getting in tune with the natural rhythms. And when you're out for 29 days, yeah, you yeah, don't want to be definitely. fighting it for 29 days. I don't think. No, definitely not. And there were some really crazy things that happened too. Again, what derailed our 28 day plan was a little bit uh, just crazy in itself. So yeah. So the lunacy kind of had a double meaning in that, that uh, putting it in there. Okay, well, this book was just published on October 30th of this year, 
and it is available for $17.95. And so again, in the written show notes, there'll be a link to purchase it. And we don't get anything out of that in case you're wondering. We just think it's, I really appreciate your story here, Nancy, and what you're trying to do and that you raise money for your local SAR organization is, is terrific. Oh, well, thank you. It was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And yeah, definitely with the book, I, I definitely want to funnel some of the proceeds back into, I'm on the board for, a, it's basically called the Wilderness uh, Safety Fund, the WNC Wilderness Safety Fund. And it's an offshoot of my team to fund us. And it's a 501c3 and all that. But yeah, that's definitely my intention is to funnel some of the proceeds from this book back into that particular foundation because it just benefits everyone who goes out and recreates in Western North Carolina. Dear listeners, always support your local SAR or the one outside of Great Smoky National Park. Either way, well, Nancy, I have to ask you what we always ask. What's next for you? I mean, you've done the map. Actually, some have done it twice now. Yeah, so, I've done it uh, four times now. So I'm like four, a little gerbil oh, on a yeah. wheel. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I, I mean, I, I hope that maybe it's going to be a fifth, but, uh, or what, what are you thinking? What's coming up next for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, this was just something so far removed from my comfort zone in everyday life because I'm not a professional athlete, nor could I be even if I wanted to be. But so, yeah, I'm just doing everyday type of hiking. My husband's working on his first map, so I'm trying to help him complete that and just chipping away at lots of little challenges. I love a challenge. So different challenges in this area to hike all the trails of Pisgah National Forest or the Palmetto Trail in South Carolina. I'd like to complete by the time I turn 50 in February. So always a goal, but nothing terribly ambitious, just out there to have fun and soak it all in. Well, thank you very much, Nancy, and thank you, listeners, for considering purchasing her book, which would support her local organization. And thank you for supporting Fastest Known Podcast, because we have no other external source of fund funding. Uh, we are supported by you. We have minimal sponsors. There's no foundation. There's nothing of that kind. And keep in mind, the internet is never free. So if you'd like to kick in a little donation, we would really honestly appreciate it. You can become a Patreon. There'll be a link to do that in the written show notes, or you can just kick in a basic donation. Anything you might want to do helps keep the good times rolling. Thanks very much, Nancy, and I hope I meet you in person sometime. And thank you again for your great work. You're very welcome, and thank you. Thank you guys for all you do. It really is just an honor to, to be have my name on that platform, but I know that there is a tremendous amount of work behind the scenes that goes into it, so I can't thank you enough. 